Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful this afternoon to gather in your name around this communion table. We pray you make our time profitable as we share a few thoughts from your scripture. And Lord, uh, as we partake in communion together, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We looked at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 this morning. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. I want to take that phrase, for every high priest taken from among men. You remember this morning we talked about that, taken from among men, taken from among anthropos, Greek word, taken from among humankind. Uh, in other words, he's, he's chosen, it's part of, he's part of the human race and is chosen because of that. And we often say that uh, Jesus was born to die. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. And Christ had to become a man to die. I want to think about that this afternoon as we turn our thoughts toward communion and the death of our Savior on the cross of Calvary. What exactly did the death of Jesus mean? What, what exactly was involved in the death of Jesus? And so I wanted to look first of all at the, what is death? I'd like for you to think about that. I'd like for you to interact with me a little bit, especially some of you younger people. <clears throat> How many think you know from the Bible and can give me a verse that tells us technically how we would define death? Anybody want to take that one on? Or any of you young people want to give me just your definition of what is death? What is death? When you lose a, yes. The spirit departing from the Bible, or body, excuse me. Good, good, good. Anyone else want to comment? Well, that's good because that's pretty much a good definition right there. Do you happen to know where the scripture is to demonstrate that? Anybody? In the Bible. You got that right? New Testament or Old? Which? Pick one. Guess. Come on. You could guess which one. Which would it be found in probably? New Testament, which deals a lot with doctrine, or Old Testament deals with history? Yeah, that's a good description. That's not the one I was thinking of. It's a perfectly good verse, yes. The one I'm thinking of is found in James chapter 2, verse 26. If you want to turn there, James chapter 2, verse 26. Uh, actually, we're only concerned here with a part of the verse that says, the body without the spirit is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. You know, when people go to a wake, when I went to my first church, uh, it was quite a discussion because uh, we always, when you went to the funeral home the night before the funeral and saw the family, we always called it visitation. And uh, somebody said, well, maybe we should call it viewing. And somebody else says, oh, that sounds terrible. You're going to view a dead body. It doesn't sound right. And then somebody else called it awake. Well, it isn't really awake. You go and stay awake and, and you don't stay all night. You just stay for a little time. And so I don't know how we finally ended up. I guess visitation was the final choice of things. But when people in the secular society go out here and look at a, a body in a casket, 
especially for a young person, it just looks like a, the body's dead. It, it's, it's ceased. The person has ceased to exist, and all that is left is the body. And so we bury the body. Yet it's true, I think, that probably most people believe that there is something about that person that lives on. A lot, a lot of people think that there's an, an immaterial part of that person who either goes to heaven or to hell or somewhere out there. And, and indeed, it's true, the Bible says, that death, indeed, is separation. We could best define death as not a cessation of life. That's misleading. But rather, it is a separation of the immaterial part of man, the soul-spirited man, from the body of man. And that was demonstrated on the cross itself by Christ when it says in 1930 of John, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Well, the ghost is the King James word for spirit. He gave up his spirit. His spirit separated from his body and he died physically on the cross. Now, that's why Jesus had to become a man in order to die. Because God is, the Bible says God, spirit. The God is spirit. And spirits never die. We talked about that this morning. What, what other spirits might we refer to other than God? God is a spirit. But what other spirits are there? Angels, good. The the categories of angels, the holy angels, the demon evil angels, the, those are spirits, and those as spirits, they will live forever. They will live forever. Now, they didn't exist forever like God did, but they will live forever. And so we have spirits too, don't we? <clears throat> and our spirits will live forever. Now, we understand, of course, being Christians and knowing our Bibles very well, that it's not going to be just our spirit that lives forever because what intervenes in the life of people that makes it not just their spirit that lives forever? What event, William? What, yeah, what event takes man out of the spirit realm and puts him back into a physical realm? Say again. That, that's what separates them. What brings them back together again? Hannah? Yeah. But what part of the rapture? The rapture consists of the translation of saved people who are alive and the resurrection of people who are dead. At the resurrection, the body and the spirit, which is with the Lord, will come together again and will form a glorified body which is fit to live in a holy heaven with a holy God for eternity. A glorified body, number one, is holy without sin. Number two, it is fit to live with God. And number three, it will live with God forever. But you know what a lot of people don't realize? We talk about the resurrection of the saints. You're going to be resurrected whether you're a saint or not. Did you know that? How do you know that? Yes. Okay. And can we look at any scriptures that uh, give point us to that? Probably three off the top of my head. 
That's in John chapter 5. In the Gospel of John, it talks about some will be resurrected unto life and some death. What about in the Old Testament? Daniel, what chapter? 12, 3. There, will be, there it talks about a, a resurrection. Uh, some will shine as stars. Uh, a dual resurrection. So, and, and then, of course, the, the most prominent one is when it actually happens in history, and where is that recorded in the Bible? Revelation chapter 21, the great white throne judgment. It says that the, the earth will give up Hades and the sea will give up her dead and they shall all stand before the white throne judgment of God. And then they will be cast into the lake of fire and that will be the second death. So the wicked of all time, the wicked of all time, none of them have been resurrected until the end of the millennial kingdom then the wicked from the millennial kingdom and all time past would be resurrected at that point and cast into the lake of fire. So uh, our spirit, our, we are eternal beings, not in the sense of the past. Maybe I should say this. We're not eternal in the sense of God, but we live forever. You are going to live forever. But where? Where? That's the issue. Think about that. Think about that. For yourself. Think about that for your children. When you bring a child into the world, you're bringing into the world an eternal soul, spirit, soul. And what's going to happen to that eternal soul? Which resurrection is it going to be a part of? Look at the people around you, your neighbors, your friends, people that are dear to you. They're eternal. What's going to happen to them? Maybe we would look a little bit more carefully at how we work with those people. Well, God is spirit, but God to die had to become a man. He had to become part of mankind. He was 100% human, but also 100% God. We sing the song, although it's not a biblical phrase, born to die upon Calvary. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. In fact, why did Jesus have to die on Calvary? I'd like you to go back with me and go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, if you would turn there, and, and ask this question. What happened in the Garden of Eden? God instituted, first of all, the Garden of Eden, the Edenic Covenant. Now, that's kind of scary. word covenant seems like a big word to some people. Uh, actually, the, what we call the Edenic Covenant isn't called a covenant in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in one of the Chinese Bible studies some time ago, Brother Pastor Wesco shared with me, one of the Chinese challenged the teacher because they called it about the Edenic Covenant. They said it's, never, it's not called an Edenic Covenant. Neither is Adam's uh, curse from God. It's not called a covenant either. All the rest of the five covenants that we talk about in the Bible are all called covenants, you know. The Noahic Covenant the Abrahamic covenant, the law covenant, the covenant of Christ for the world, and the covenant of Christ for the nation of Israel. They're all called this one, but it's the same as a covenant. And why is it the same as a covenant? What does this covenant do? I'll, I'll read part of it to you. Uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with it. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we call that the Edenic covenant. Well, what is it? How else will we describe it besides being a covenant? Okay, it's, it's, a, it's an instruction. It's a promise, too, in terms of God's going to keep what his part of the statement is. But it's, it's an instruction or a promise. It's an instruction, in this case, of how Adam and his wife were to live in the Garden of Eden. And the warning of what God would do if they didn't live that way. And, of course, there was another provision to it, too, and that was a provision to multiply and fill the earth. But that's not really our concern right now. Uh, they didn't have long enough to violate that command, that instruction. By the way, though, that instruction is repeated in the next three, next two covenants. It's repeated that the that should fill the earth. Okay, they said, if you eat of that tree, that one tree, ye shall die. In the day that thou eatest thereof, you shall die. Question. And don't raise your hands. Don't just think about this first. Did Adam die in the day he ate thereof? Yes or no? No, I said don't respond to me because this is how I want you to respond to me. Okay? If your answer is yes, he died that day, would you stand up right now so I can see who thinks it was he did die that day? I'm just going to leave it that way right now. You have to define it. You have to define it in your own terms. What did you know one of my own give me all that trouble? Are you the yeses? Okay, how many say no? No. Why are you sitting down? You already voted. You said yes. Right, so can we sit down now and then they stand? No, I want you all to stay standing. I want to see who's left sitting. Aha. Uh -huh. That's what I'm looking for. Well, now, if I give you credit, not many of you are still sitting down. You're a pretty straightforward, committed group of people. I hope you vote in the election this faithfully. Okay, you may sit down. Those who said no are correct. He died 930 years later. Notice God's words, thou shalt surely die. Those are interesting words. In fact, I remember... When I first took Hebrew, uh, and this was one of the texts that we translated. In the Hebrew language, if you want to say an emphatic statement like you really mean it, uh, way in English, the only thing we can do with English is underline the word. But in Hebrew, there's a little idiom, a little, I can't seem to keep myself together here, a little idiom, and that is, they put a participle with a statement. So in Hebrew, it says, dying he shall die. That's what surely die here in Hebrew, is, it, it says. Dying he shall die. And that's a, a Hebrew expression for an emphatic. And so it was translated, surely die. And that's good. Very good translation. Okay. He shall surely die. But technically, it's dying he shall die. And that's what happened with Adam, literally. That day, he began to die. The dying process came into his life. Sure, it took a lot longer than it does today, but he began to die physically. Okay? Physical death was averted, however. How was the physical death averted? 
sacrifice. Tell us about it. What happened? An animal. I don't think. Maybe it was a lamb. Yeah, he, he killed an animal, and he took the skins and clothed the man. Uh, that was a picture of a substitutionary death. In the day, the man did not die, but an animal died in his place saying that a penalty had to be paid if he was going to live on. And God paid that penalty. But it was only temporary. It wouldn't take care of the situation permanently. But it was a temporary holdover to delay the final judgment until God had done all that he wanted to do. So it says in Genesis 3.21, And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. So he offered a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice or substitutionary death for them, and then he clothed them with the skins. Do you know Christ not only died for you on the cross of Calvary, but when he died, he imputed his righteousness to you. That means when you stand before God, you not only have a clean slate, you have the righteousness of Christ clothing you. That's something. That, you know, I, when I was in the military, I was in just a couple of years, and you get ribbons, you know, upon your uniform. You see in the movies these guys from the war that have a whole, whole the ribbons are going over their shoulder. I had three little ribbons. One was for shooting an M16. One was for being in the service during the war, Vietnam War. And I don't even remember what the other one was. But to thank you here before your general with a full, a full coat of ribbons, Christ imputes his righteousness. In fact, that's one of the big arguments between Roman Catholics and non-Roman Catholics because the, uh, we believe that it's imputed, which happens all at once, whereas they believe that it's, uh, I can't think of the right word now, but it's given in increments. It's given as they live through life. It's a big difference. We're not going there at night. Okay. Genesis 5. Genesis 5 is the great chapter of the death dirge. If you look at it closely, you'll see this happen. It says, and he died. And he died. And he died. All through the chapter. Look through the chapter. And he died. And he, it's the great death dirge of Genesis, which shows that God's statement that they would die came to pass. But those of you who said yes are also correct. So everybody that stood up was right. It's both yes and no. The man was died that day. What was our definition of death? In one word, what is it? What's the one word, though? What from bodies, though? What happens? Separation. Separation. Physical death is a separation of the immaterial part of man from the material part of man. That's physical death. Spiritual death is the separation of the man from God. And the day that Adam took of that tree with Eve, he died spiritually. He was separated from God. He could no longer be in God's presence. 
You know, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 and 24, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden, so he drove out the man. Why? Because Adam died spiritually. When we read the text there, it says, uh, They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord came into the garden that day, and uh, the presumption is that was his habit. Every day he'd come and walk in the garden with, hence a song in the garden, and walk in the garden with the man and his wife, and they had intimate, close fellowship. That is pictured by the fact that at that time, uh, the man wore no clothing. There's nothing dirty or sensuous about this. But he was together with his Lord, uh, being his Lord's creator, and, he, and it was a comfortable situation, and they had a very close fellowship. But that fellowship was broken when man broke God's covenant and disobeyed. And he immediately became aware of it and tried to cover it up. But he was cast out of the garden, and uh, he had died spiritually. Now, we believe that the provision of God of an animal sacrifice and the skins was a provision of salvation to God, which if Adam believed, and it seems he did, because afterwards uh, it seems that he brought sacrifices there, although there was a problem with his sons that developed. But, uh, but Adam lost. He was separated from God. And since that time, what are the result of Adam's choices? Well, all of his progeny experienced the same consequence. Somebody said, well, that's not fair. That's really not fair. Well, you know, if you're born of your parents and you end up with a crooked nose because their genes say you're going to have a crooked nose, is that fair? That's not really the issue. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. And when you are born to a man and woman today, you're a sinner. That's the way it is. That's just the way it is. It's as though we were all in Adam and sinned in him, and we carry the guilt of sin in our lives. Romans 5:12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so, when you were born, you were born dead spiritually. And you will die physically unless you respond to God's provision to cleanse you of the sin that causes that death. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam all die. Since then, all men are born spiritually dead. What's that mean? All men are born lost. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. And you, and you can see that clearly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, one of my life verses says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking to these Ephesian people here who are saved, and he says, you were quickened, and before that you were dead. They were born dead spiritually. And due to the work of Christ, which is explained, we haven't got time to go through the rest of the verse there, 
So, but God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love which he loved them, made a provision for them that allowed them to become alive spiritually. In other words, receive Christ as your Savior. He died in your place. Then you're regenerated. You're, you're restored to spiritual life. Now, let me say here, it's, it's easy to make a mistake here in looking at this because it says, you hath he quickened. Uh, quickened is translated in some versions, made alive. The issue here is not that his spirit didn't exist, and now it exists. The issue here is that his spirit, though it existed, because, I mean, everybody has a material and an immaterial part. It's not like you live with just a body until a certain point, and then you get a spirit. You know, you're born, when you're conceived, you are two part, two or three, you can debate that issue, uh, soul, spirit, and body. And so the spirit here is not not there, it's just dead. It's separated by our biblical definition, separated from God. And when you get saved, then you're brought back together with the Lord. But we know all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let's talk number five about the price Christ paid to deliver us from Adam's or our curse. He became a man to qualify as a high priest. John 1.14 And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was, listen carefully, he was of Adam, but not in Adam. Luke 1.35 tells how Jesus was conceived. It says, And the angel answered and said unto Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Uh, Jesus was of, was of Adam, but not in Adam. He, he did not have come upon him the curse of sin that came across all other men who were born in this world because he wasn't born physically of Joseph, his credentials to be in humankind is because he was the son of Mary, and her line was traced through Nathan. But he was the legal son of Joseph, but not the physical son of Joseph. Thereby, the legal side, the legal right to enthronement, came down from David to Solomon on down Joseph's line, but then Joseph adopted him, which gave him the legal right to the throne, but did not dirty him in the curse of sin. And, uh, of course, that's acted out in this really intricate, amazing story about Jeconiah, who was in the line of, of uh, Solomon and was declared seedless, childless, because of the way he had acted toward God. So a curse was put on the line so that Joseph... No one of, jo of his descendants, which would include Joseph, could sit on the throne. Uh, but he wasn't the literal child of Joseph. He was only adopted. So he was of Adam, but not in Adam. He was a part of the human race, and he had all the characteristics of a human being with this exception. He didn't have the sin nature, and he did not sin. We read that right in our text today. He was tempted in every way like as we, yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. But when he died, he not only died physically, 
he died spiritually for our sins. There's one very clear text that is explained by that truth. And it's a text that talks about Jesus' words from the cross that many people have had a hard time understanding down through history. Do you know what those words might have been? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That darkness was like the darkness in Egypt the night of the Passover angel. It was like thick darkness. It was like moving through fluid to walk out in that darkness. It was so dark. That was God's curse falling upon Christ for our sin. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We, I can't explain that to you. How could the triunity of God fit in with the Father forsaking? I don't know. It was an amazing thing. But it's what had to happen. It's what did happen to pay the penalty that was put upon us and upon Adam for his sin. He died spiritually. But Adam died physically, and so must Christ die physically. So in John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Notice how he's in complete control of this whole process. And so there he died physically. So Adam, in the day he ate of the fruit, died spiritually. He was separated from God as a person. And 900 and some years later, he died physically. The death process beginning that very day, but death coming some years later. To pay the price for his sin, Christ had to die, and he had to die spiritually, and he had to die physically. And on the cross, during those hours of darkness, the father turned his back on the son, and he was separated from his father by the sin of mankind that was laid upon him. He died spiritually. He was separated from God. And then later, short time later, he gave up the ghost and he died physically. Now, let's be careful about this here. Let's keep things in proportion. The Bible doesn't say too much about his spiritual death. And there have been some groups in the past <clears throat> who've gotten off track quite badly by emphasizing the spiritual death of Christ to the exclusion of his physical death. But the Bible puts the emphasis on his physical death, even though both had to take place. And you know, the Bible says in the Old Testament, there is no remission without what? The shedding of blood. Jesus Christ had to die on the cross and shed his blood according to the Old Testament requirement in order to qualify as our Savior. But he also died spiritually, being separated from God. Christ's substitutionary atonement, we call it. 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation, the provision of pity for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so we have the gospel found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Turn there, if you would. This is an important text. 
because this text defines the gospel. It's the one most concise statement of the gospel in the entire scriptures. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. The invitation is in Romans and elsewhere. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, again, you're going to live forever. Those little children that are sitting beside you, you're holding your laps they are going to live forever. We need to serve the Lord faithfully, teach his word faithfully, pray desperately, pray in the spirit of God, and he will answer those prayers. We need to pray for our children, for our families, and we need to follow the word of God. We need to get in this book and learn it, teach it, and understand it in order to be sure that we spend eternity in the right place. As we go to communion today, uh, I think we've, we've talked quite a bit today about what, uh, what it costs God to bring about our salvation. Uh, Brother Reisinger came to me over lunch, and he was saying, as he continues to think on various things of the Scripture, the humanity, how did you put it, brother? The humanity of Christ. Overwhelmed with the humanity of Christ that God became a man. And he had to die physically and spiritually. Oh, he said this morning, he not only gave up a lot to come down and do that, but he took on a lot to see it through. And that's what we remember at this communion table today. So we're going to have you just stay in your seats where you are. The deacons will, we're going to sing a song. Deacons will come forward and just serve you where you're at. So just stay there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time, the remembrance of Christ's death for us on the cross. Lord, may we sincerely take these moments of waiting and searching and contemplating and think about you and remember your death on Calvary's tree for our sins and what it meant and how much you sacrifice in Jesus' name.